Hey guys, welcome to Between the Pints Session Beer, where we sit down with influencers from across the industry to talk about what's new, what's now, and what's on tap. I'm your host, Aaron Gore, a.k.a. proof that literally anyone can succeed in America. And I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Moses, the beer counselor and owner of Craft Beer Consulting. How you doing today, Ryan? I am doing well. My throat's a little scratchy. I'm going to have to drop a cough drop in a second, but I'm doing pretty good. Excuses, excuses. Listen, you come in 100% or you don't come in at all. Uh, also joining us on the show today, uh, our special guest, Joe Vogelbacher, founder and owner of Sugar Creek Brewing Company right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Joe, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No, no. Uh, <laughs> we're uh, more than a little bit excited to have you on. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you've definitely been somebody who's become kind of an integral part of the local craft beer scene most people in the industry at least locally are very familiar with you and it's easy to see why your resume kind of reads like a superhero of craft beer i mean you're uh you know brewery owner advanced cicerone uh, serviceman uh you help run a charity i mean like you're a cape away from us having a full comic book series based <laughs> on your life I, I appreciate that that's uh <laughs> i never thought of it like that but um i, I appreciate it I, I still feel like a beginner in the business and i think by all measurable aspects you know we still are but uh um, <laughs> excited to talk about beer you know that's that's what we do for a living and um but yeah excited, yeah <laughs> excited, excited to be here <laughs> no no we're excited to have you and i mean i i do appreciate the uh the humility but uh we're part of the reason that we're so excited to have you on is you're adding something else to that resume a little bit of movie star going on yeah you know um tell us a little bit about the upcoming project you're going to be working on Sure. Yeah. So there's there's not a name yet, but um, I'm working with a company called One Eleven Entertainment, and they uh, they reached out, I guess, last year when they were looking at candidates for the Master Cicerone exam, and they I think they spoke to most of the um, at the time there was like 50 or 60 advanced Cicerones, and you know a small percentage of those are going for the Master, so <clears throat> they reached out and. Um, uh, asked if I'd be interested in being part of their documentary, which the goal of that was to kind of bring awareness to the romance of beer and, and, and all the many amazing things that are going on in the beer community. So um, I had some friends and they said, hey, you want to be part of it? And then they did an interview and decided, hey, this guy is a pretty interesting story. Let's, let's, uh, let's follow him around for a little bit, which I have to admit was made me feel a lot more important than I really am. <laughs> Um, oh, you're basically one of the Kardashians now. So. Well, well, you know, they're still cutting it, and and we were, myself and four other um, Cicerones were a pod, they call it, which is a, a part of the overall picture of the you know, small, a, a portion of the movie. So depending on how, you know, how much other great material they get, you know, it could be a small part or a bigger part or... Yeah, we're really going to feel like a bunch of asshats if you wind up on the cutting room floor. Really? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to be cut out, but um, that that's for sure. But there was a portion that was supposed to take place in Europe that I know um, ended up getting cut, I think, for funding reasons, which I'm not privy to. I, I hear that Europe is a little expensive to get to. Yeah, I think I think bringing your crew over there and all that kind of stuff and traveling around was going to add quite a bit to the budget. That's why but, I don't weekend on the beach in Malta. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a cool experience, you know. Um, at the time, I didn't know what to expect, and Eric, <laughs> Eric, my partner um, at the brewery, has a lot more of a robust marketing background, so he's he's done some of these things before, but. You know, they came in and um, real professional group of guys, real creative, had a, a crazy resume. Like, um, 
guys had worked on Avatar and Star Wars and some of these big feature films. Ne- never heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, you know, guys that were behind the scenes kind of came together and formed their own production company and um, came in and, you know, uh, followed around a day in the life of a Master Cicerone candidate and brewery owner. And it was kind of a, it, yeah, it was a neat experience. But um, uh, I, I'll, I'll give away part of the ending, and I'm sure a lot of you guys know I ended up not passing it. So now you, you have to wonder uh, <laughs> if I'm going to be the black sheep of the film. So we'll, we'll find out. Maybe I guess they need somebody to not pass. You know, it just add, add some layers to it. You know, it's it's always nice. we've talked about it on this show before. Uh, I failed my first Cicerone exam first time I took it. I know Ryan's working on his and uh, Jerome, who you guys can't see. Uh, he's one of your sales reps. He's sitting off air, staring this at is me a right now. Podcast. They can't see anyone. Yeah. Shut up, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're a real audio-visual podcast. We just describe things in explicit detail, but I know he's working on his, so we're very very open to people failing around here. It's it's kind of our shtick. Well, you got to give it a try, I figured. I mean, um, I, I kind of jump into things sometimes before I'm ready and, and uh, see if you can swim. So I think one of the things that compelled them to follow me around was that um, – you know, had so much other stuff going on. The question is, like, how do you balance it? But I think if you ask anybody why they're not doing it, they just say, hey, I'm busy. I've got – everybody's busy, you know. It's a, There's always an excuse for, for not sure. sitting down and just going ahead and doing it. And one of the best ways to figure out what you still need to learn is to go ahead and actually take it. So Yeah. You need to get that? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought I turned my phone off. But uh. Anyway, uh uh, go ahead. I Let's see how much stuff completely uh, like that the listeners at home are not going to be able to follow along with that all we can get going on. This is fantastic. Also, we have a full parade in the background. It's not being picked up. And, you know, this wonderful painting by uh, Vincent Van Gogh on the wall. It's, it, it's incredible. As you can tell, our podcast is more of the shaggy dog podcast of beer podcast. Just we'll like... eventually get to the point. <laughs> what little of one there is. So uh, how did they did they reach? I'm presuming they reached out to you about being in this production. Yeah. So, um what happened was I went to Firestone Walker out in Venice Beach, California for some training on, on um, production off flavors. And I took the class with uh, Dr. Bill Simpson, the founder of Aruxa Technologies. He's also going to be in the, in the movie as well. Um, for those of you uh, at home who might not be aware, Aruxa Technologies is the number one supplier of off flavor kits in the country. They kind of the only game in town in any significant fashion. So being able to hook up with him is, uh, it's basically like talking to Jesus about the Bible. Yeah, he's a pretty special guy. I mean, he, he um, he's an encyclopedia of knowledge. So some, he's been in it since he was in his 20s and, you know, got his PhD and studied in the field and his patents. And um, I believe he's the inventor, inventor of the um, ATP meter, which is a lot of people use in, the, in breweries to, to monitor cleanliness, you know, um, so and he's got a big yeast lab and he does the off flavor. So he's quite a, quite an amazing guy when it comes to beer quality. So it was it was a real big honor to be at Firestone Walker too. So I ended up. Yeah, doing, I feel like they make a little bit of good beer. Oh yeah, for sure. They're one of my heroes <laughs> for sure. I mean, um, eventually someday, you know, we'll we'll get there. But um, sat in the class with you know quality control people from Sierra Nevada, um, Firestone Walker, Mad Tree. Um, all these, you know, big name, basically beer rock stars were in there in the class. The guys at Mad Tree are going to be tickled pink that you referred to them like that. They, <laughs> well, given I mean, how much it, of a reputation they have, they're a lot smaller than I think most people realize. Well, I, I, 
they're taking quality serious. So I was glad to see they're them. doing and, some excellent work. Uh, two of my best friends live about five minutes from the brewery. So I've been yeah. there plenty. Yeah, and we have you know Six Point and the the res the list of people that are in it were um, just amazing. Brooklyn Brewery. I'm trying to think who else was there, but anyway. As part of the week-long class, you really get to know everybody in there. So um, there was a ambassador from Guinness who um, was sitting close to me, and we became friends. And he connected me with, you know, connected me to some other people, and then some introductions were made, and that's how basically uh, I got involved in this. And they reached out and said, "Hey, you want to? Are you interested in doing or being part of our documentary?" And I said, "Sure." So. As a business owner, it's it's kind of a risk too at the same time because you give up your rights to really control how you're portrayed in there. And there's a lot of creative freedom in the movie process. I mean, they can take, depending on how they cut things, it can really have a big impact on how the you know the the final person sees the film. And we've talked before on this show about the fact that the whole uh, there is no bad PR uh, or there is no bad publicity is one of the most misquoted things on the planet. There is very very much such a thing <laughs> as bad publicity, and when you're giving that narrative over to someone completely out of your hands, it's an, it's entirely a risk. So I'm I'm just praying here that it, it works out good. And probably uh, shouldn't have killed those hobos on camera. That was, <laughs> that was definitely a bad call. No, but I mean I, I try to give them sincere look into what was going on, <laughs> and um, hoping that you know they'll uh, you know they'll portray it accurately. Which is um, at the time you know it was uh, kind of a tumultuous time in my life. I mean, um, you know I had uh, I had just gotten back from Afghanistan. I was, I'm a reservist, so I was over there for uh, a brief period of time. Thank and you for your service. Uh, very much uh, welcome. And uh, it's an honor, I should say. And, and then my sister was struggling with uh, stage 4 liver cancer, which, which had metastasized. And it, it's kind of ironic, hey, we're in the alcohol business, and she had liver cancer. But the reality is it wasn't from alcohol at all. It was just a, a freak, rare uh, primary cancer called uh, chlorangiocarcinoma. So, uh, you know, she had been in remission for five years, but the survival rate for that is very low long term. So I was coming back and trying to help support her family because she was the primary breadwinner. And my brother and I were doing some fundraisers and we had a lot of support from the Charlotte community. So thank you to everybody that supported that endeavor. But um, she ended up passing away in November, November 1st, which was the week after I got back from the master cicerone exam, so it was uh, um, <clears throat> around that time for the for the actual exam. I had to move a little closer to the mic. Sorry about that, guys. So, I, like I was saying, my sister she ended up passing away November first, and I believe the exam for the master was, you know, mid October ish, and the guys from the documentary were up there during during the exam filming and for a few weeks beforehand filming. So. For me, I'm kind of a notorious procrastinator, and that's kind of prime time study time for me the last few weeks. And having the camera guys around added a new element to it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's no hiding that there was um, some challenges, which which can make re, you know focusing on that cha- uh, tough. But I gave it my best overall. I mean, the um, I ended up getting a 76, um, I think something like that. And there's they go through each of the the five sections of the test with you, and Ray calls every candidate personally. So I asked him, hey, do you think that uh, with another year of study I could 
I could pass this thing. And, and Ray said, oh, no, um, normally I tell people, hey, if you can't improve your you can only improve your score by 5% per year if you put in a, a good year of work. So that would put you in the low 80s. Um, but I think that you have the tools available for you to, you know, to hit it the next time if you want to give it a try. So, and um, coming from the man who literally founded the Cicerone program, Ray Daniels, I mean, that that's not insignificant. I appreciate it. I mean, there is a bit of a conflict of interest uh, because it's <laughs> No, no, expensive, no, come back and give me your money. <laughs> it's, a, you know, it's an expensive <laughs> test, but frankly, I don't think they. that's really their breadwinner. You know, they. I think if they could not do that exam, they'd probably prefer to because they, they bring in experts from all over the country to, to be um, oral examiners. Yeah, and I would have to imagine sheer volume. CBS and Level 2 have to really be what funds them. I mean, even if you look at the price of that Master Cicerone exam, there's only a tiny handful of people take it every year. The resources that go into setting it up, it seems a lot more to drive the program and lend a sense of authenticity, a, a deserved sense of authenticity and importance to that program. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how it goes this year with um, the fact that they don't let uh, level two Cicerones take it anymore. So it'll be interesting to see if their pool of candidates drops or if the scores go up or if they increase the um, difficult difficulty of the exam. But one, one thing I well, heard is it was is so that, easy before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I kind of approached it, and I know I'm, I hope, stop me if I'm getting us off track, but. Clearly uh, around here, we, we love to stay focused on the story at hand. But uh, I, I entered the exam thinking, man, this is going to be something that is just monumentally difficult. And it was hard for sure, but it's I left feeling that it was an approachable um, task, meaning that you could do it. Something that is, is you know, you, it, you can accomplish with a little focus. It doesn't mean that you don't have to work hard, but having dedicated time to it, I mean, if you if you dedicated six to nine months fully for studying that as like, hey, that's your full-time um, job, then there's really no way that, well, I shouldn't say no way, there, you have a fighting chance of passing this. But there's also a level of um, subjectivity to it because, you know, you have oral boards and they have, and they have certain metrics, that, of course, that they want you to say, but... They don't publish exactly, you know, what the answers are. And on top of it, for all those people that are thinking about taking it, they actually, this is some secrets here I'm giving you guys, but they actually... Breaking news! Yeah, they they plot every question that you've had on the exam, if you're a candidate that has taken it in the past, and they make sure that you never see the same question again. So you might think, oh, okay, we're going to, um, you know, I... I have a really all-encompassing bank of questions here, and I've talked to other people that have taken it and things. No, they, they don't. They make it new pretty much every time, and you're not going to see, and I, one of my friends, um, James Ty, I think has taken it four times, really smart, good guy, and I he said he never saw the same question. Um, Which is pretty yeah. remarkable, and I think yeah. if, if anything else, it just gives a sense of scale to the breadth of knowledge that you're expected to have if you're going after something like this and and not only that it gives a sense of scale to just how large the subject of fear is yeah, and i think that was part getting us back on track with the documentary i think that was kind of their goal because you know you have um the movies like psalm where they just focus on basically the master Cic- cicerone equivalent the uh, master psalm and they are trying to let people know how complex and amazing wine can be. But I think beer is magnitudes more complicated than, than wine. 
I mean, not only do you have all the terroir that you know that that you get from where the grains grow and the and where the hop parts of the world the hops come from. Um, I mean, wine is basically varieties of grapes that have been fermented. I mean, beer you have you're you're dealing with thousands of different yeast strains, at least many hundreds, I should say. Um, uh, many different types of grains from all over the world, many types of hops from all over the world. Um, and then on top of it, you throw in the fact that it's carbonated. So, And not only that, but you can have extremely varying levels of carbonation, varying serving styles. I mean, it's the most versatile beverage on the planet. When you think about it, adding that one extra ingredient over something like wine or cider exponentially increases the number of options and the number of variables you have to play with. Yeah, I mean, um, boil, boil time, slaughtering techniques... Um, fermentation techniques, uh, filtering, all of this kind of stuff. There's a million levers that the brewmaster can pull inside the brewery to influence the flavor. And I'm sure a vintner would say the same thing. Hey, I have a lot of levers that I can do. But a lot of times they say, if you, if you watch some of these shows on it, you'll see them reminiscing about a really good year where they, Mother Nature handed them some great grapes. I think it's about the grapes with wine. But with beer, it's it's more about the artist that's making it in combination with using world-class ingredients. So that's one of the things that I think really makes it special and that the documentary was trying to capture. So that's why the Master Cicerone part became, you know, an important pod of it. So with the with that, one of the things to say is um, there was four main characters in that pod, um, and I was one of them, one of two of the main ones they focused around. And out of the four study got partners that were in that, um, two of us passed and two didn't. So, um, it'll, well, it'll make it'll for make an interesting sense. contrast, yeah. if nothing else. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much that. Yeah, so uh, it, you said that a lot of the focus on the, of the actual documentary itself is just about the romance of the beer industry and just about the growing sophistication within it. I know for a lot of people from outside the industry, especially from outside of craft beer, they tend to see beer as kind of the little brother from a sophistication standpoint of wine. We've talked a little bit about just the liquid in the glass, but I know some of what we've talked about when we're talking about uh, this show and it upcoming is just the fact that even the culture of beer has really advanced. The idea of uh, certifications like the Cicerone, the idea of food pairings, the idea of the fact that this is more than just a workman's drink at the end of the, you know, a long day at the factory. There is a lot, an enormous amount of versatility there. It can fill every occasion. And we're starting to see people actually buy table beers and buy beer as a gift in much the same way that they were doing with wine and, and you know, times past. Is that a little bit of kind of what the focus of what they're trying to capture, that kind of romantic, uh, more... Uh, sophisticated, I suppose, aspect of beer and, and just the fact that it has matured to that level? I think so. I mean, we went through a tough period here in the United States where all you had was the weak, yellow, yellow fizzy stuff. So uh, yeah, speak, we, right? we call it piss. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now, I mean, I think America's paving the way for craft beer. Um, I mean, if you travel around the world, you'll see so many other countries trying to emulate what we're doing over here. And there's some cool craft beer cultures popping up all over. I don't know if um, um, 
you've seen, but you know, even in Japan, they have some really cool beers. Been a very vi- like vibrant young craft beer industry in Japan. Uh, Hitachino Ness has really kind of driven that, but they they're starting to see it all over the place. Their cider scene's actually really exploded quite a bit too. Uh, Germany, even you know, the land of tradition, has really started to see a little nascent. Uh, craft beer scene popping up as well and ironically stone has helped to kind of get that going with their munich brewery it's been fun to watch and i don't think this is something that's really going to fade away especially in east asia you know hong kong tons of craft breweries taiwan tons of craft breweries shanghai even starting to see a nice craft brew culture pop up and there's only something that's really going to continue so it's it's fun to watch and it's really more of a movement america really is kind of leading the way yeah and i think um regarding the the documentary again i think their point was to exactly what you said um highlight perhaps yeah highlight the sophistication of beer because a lot of people always look at it as the working man's uh drink because it's been around forever in in that capacity i mean the people that were farming or building even the pyramids were getting beer to nourish them around the day so they weren't thinking of it Uh, they were better times yeah and then (laughs) what was harder to get was wine because it was more rare so i think the rareness of it uh made it so that you know, beer took a back seat to it. And I think the movie is trying to make it, hey, look, we're equivalent, if not even better in some aspects um, with beer. So that's that's kind of the, the You goal just made a vintner somewhere start crying. Uh, well. <laughs> Superior. <laughs> no. <laughs> we have so much history. Well, beer does too. I mean, it's... Um, and It's the cause for human civilization. And the fact that... And there, a lot of people would argue that. Yeah, but I mean, even the wine lover, one of my goals, I think, was starting the brewery was to make a breadth of styles that even the wine lover could appreciate. So that's what one of the reasons why we um, brought the Flanders Red today for us to try a little bit. Uh, but I think it's a really approachable style for people that are all about wine. You know, they um, this has a very wine-like character to it. And the beer, I think, is um, something that, you know, anybody that appreciates craft wine, uh, craftsmanship in wine can can appreciate and i do think that's one of the things that you know a lot of people lose sight of is just how much a good sour beer can accomplish many of the same things with the acidity uh with the depth of character with the complexity uh that wine can and especially with some of the you know more acidic reds it is really incredible how well beer can accomplish much the same so we're gonna pass uh this flanders red around i'm gonna go ahead and freely acknowledge that this is my favorite style of beer oh, that's uh awesome. so yeah we're off to a good start already <laughs> i mean the duchess was one of the beers that really got me excited about craft beer I, i'm in the exact same boat scotch ales were really the first ones to get me into beer in the first place which is a weird sort of you know entry level beer but yeah after that flanders reds really got me excited and it you want something that'll show you just how diverse beer can be it's really the style is going to do it. Just the acetic acid, just helping to round everything out. You get just the the maltiness to help complement. Hints of, you know, deep red fruit is just spectacular. So salute, salute, cheers. Give it a try. Tell me what you guys think. This is one I'm really excited about because there was really no shortcuts shortcuts taken with this this beer. It, the, what you're trying here today is from the two barrels at the top of our barrel stack at the brewery. So the barrels exist at ambient temperature, and here in North Carolina, you know, we have pretty big fluctuation. It can get down almost to near freezing in the warehouse in the winter, and then in the summer it can be 
105 degrees Fahrenheit. Welcome to Charlotte, where the weather sucks. Yeah, and the (laughs) humidity levels are, you know, constantly a a challenge, too, from a uh, brewery perspective. But those barrels are expanding and contracting, and the ones at the top of the stack are are, uh, moving at a little faster rate than the ones at the bottom of the stack. So we tasted through the barrels, and we kegged out a few of these recently because they were ready. It was time to go. And we didn't have the chance really to make a good hype about it or do a bunch of marketing for this product, but it's been in the barrel for nearly two years. I think you had two years of lead time there, Joe. Yeah, well, <laughs> you gotta. We weren't expecting it till December, to be honest with you. So and that's the one of the things for people who are outside the industry. Barreled beer, it's it's done when it tells you it's done, and really honestly, like you don't get a whole lot of control over that matter. Yeah, we were kind of shocked by it. Like, oh wow, that's really good. We should give it a roll. So um, we have, this is the largest portion of our barrel program is the Flanders. Most of our product is in, is, is Flanders. So it's one of my favorite styles too, if not my favorite. And uh, I mean, this beer is all about balance. So it has a nice malty backbone and it has the acidity there. It's kind of, you asked me, I think before off the air, where did I rate it on the acetic level or and I would yeah, say just it's probably as far in, as stripping in, the enamel off your teeth, how close is it going to come? I would say it's a four out of ten. Okay, you know, ten. so my dentist isn't going. No, I drank it. So that, <laughs> that, that's good. No, but uh, uh, I was excited about it, and we, we didn't take any shortcuts. So I think you can make a fantastic sour beer with some of the new innovative techniques they have, some of the kettle, kettle souring, and some of the faster ways to drop the ph but people give kettle souring a hard time and a lot of people i don't think realize how actually traditional kettle souring is in large swaths of germany but you're right there there's amazing things you can do with it but it's hard to get that level of depth right and and this one is um a lot of hard work went into this beer and a lot of minds went into making this and the process was quite crazy i mean when we first got the barrels we had to, you know, ripen them with the strains to kind of do our best to duplicate what's happening over there in, in Belgium. So I think in the few barrels that we had, we spent almost $6,000 in yeast just to get the right strains in there and get the right micro environment. Oh, that's all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the listeners out there, I mean, yeast is one of our cheaper raw materials. So normally we're spending 150 to $200 on a on a small quantity of it and then we grow the yeast up in the brewery and then use it to pitch into a 60 or 90 barrel batch of beer and instead you were like screw that you know what we need we need that gold standard yeast that's uh <laughs> yeah so i was talking with todd um who's my partner and um brewmaster over at sugar creek about the process a little bit and i mean we used we used uh six types of of yeast in this so it I think it adds a depth that you're not going to get with kettle souring, and we were wanted. To, we've done kettle sours and and we've done barrel aged stuff, but I'm always I always feel like quali- you can't take shortcuts to quality. So that's my general thought process on it, which is appropriate given kind of the vision of the brewery. So Sugar Creek Brewery itself is more of a Belgian focused brew house. You guys do have a handful of American styles. Uh, which unfortunately a lot of people kind of sleep on you guys make an incredible ipa which i would really like to see that out to market more and see more people give it kind of the respect it deserves but uh tell me a little about how you guys decided to do a more belgian inspired brewery you're really the only one of any significance in the greater charlotte area and it's it's nice to see 
it's nice to see a group of guys like yourselves kind of taking that impetus from the old world while still adding a little bit of that new world flair to it. Sure. Well, my favorite beers to drink before we started the brewery were Belgian styles. And you talked about um, bringing something to somebody's house for dinner as a gift or something. I mean, for all our listeners, if you're not sure about what to bring to somebody's house and you go to the wine aisle, you can get lost just like the beer aisle, but instead of paying 10 bucks, you're paying 50 bucks for a bottle. But you can get a world-class beer for 10 bucks, and you can get the same quantity there. So you could buy two you know, 750 ml bottles. It's like 12 bucks for a 750 at Duchess. Oh, I mean, and it's then you a, can... Unbelievable. You could bring it, and then you have a conversation piece. You brought something different, and it pairs so well with food. So if you're not a beer and food pairing expert, then which there's not a ton of, right? But, yeah, Garrett uh, Oliver and, and the rest of us. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and you're not sure what to bring. Um, bring a Belgian double. I think yeah. that's even, I think Randy Mosher even says that in his book, um, Tasting Beer. But um, bring a Belgian double and, I mean, a shameless plug here for Sugar Creek. <laughs> we, our Belgian double is uh, caged and corked. I think we're the only type in Charlotte. And, and to, not to mention that it got a 99 out of 100 on uh, Beer Advocate from the brothers Ooh. when, they, when Ooh, they rated it. Plug! Yeah, so they, <laughs> they changed the rating scale. Brag. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if you don't like, if, if to take us out of the shameless plug mode, it, some of my other go-tos in the Belgian double category, are, I really like the um, St. Bernardus. Oh, app, yeah, that's about as classic as you're going to find. The App 12. And if a lot of people don't know that they actually contract Brew, brewed for West Wetterin at some point, so I think they have that style down pretty good. Um, you know, you can, and that's one that I, that I always go to. I really like um, Captain Lawrence's uh, double. Without now, waxing too poetic on a brewery, that, I don't think I've had a bad beer from them in about two years. They, they are a rock-solid brewery these days. Yeah, I, I, Captain Lawrence just really admire what they do. And their double, I can't remember. I think it was uh, St. Vincent's Ale, I think. I'm not 100% sure. But I used to be able to get it in New Jersey, and it, it was just fabulous double. So that's those are kind of some of the beers that inspired us, I think, at Sugar Creek for our double. And we kind of put our own twist on it. But, um, yeah, really good ones. You can If you can find those, then bring that for a dinner party. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, uh, the Cicerone secret. If you're asked a food pairing question, when in doubt, just go Belgian. Mm-hmm. You, you'll be hard-pressed yeah. to even pick one that's entirely wrong. <laughs> just about any Belgian beer is going to pair at least okay with just about any food. So I think I had a French cassoulet on my Cicerone test. I just went with a beer to guard, and I was like, I'm just going to play it nice and nice and safe on this. <laughs> yeah, that's a really nice beer, too. I actually that's... wound up naming the Sugar Creek Beer to Guard as my commercial example, so thank you very much. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, we... it did get a um silver in the u.s open one year so it's and no it, big deal it, it's placed in the um some international competitions so it's a i think it's a credible example thank you yeah. for, for <laughs> I, I would definitely think that would uh, be representative <laughs> uh so tell us a little about what you guys kind of have upcoming what we can expect from sugar creek uh, i would definitely recommend people check out your tap room uh, for anybody who hasn't been it's it's a beautiful space as a real kind of uh Victorian, almost Jules Vernesian kind of vibe to it, bordering on steampunk. It's really kind of beautiful, 
you know, copper clad interior, nice, uh, you know, ropes hanging across the ceiling because that nice feel. So tell us what we can kind of expect from you guys, both on the beer front. And if you guys have any, you know, events, anything upcoming at the brew house itself. Uh, well, a few things that just come to mind. One is, um, we did a contest at the brewery and I don't remember the specifics cause Todd, um, ran this contest, but, um, we had, a. Uh, um, excuse me for a second. <clears throat> we uh, auctioned off a day with the brewmaster, and you could—it's called the brewmaster's experience, where they would collaborate with us, and we would create a beer for the for the guest. And uh, recently, very interesting, the one—the person that won this also was the winner of the Iterod. Does anybody know what the Iterod is? The, uh, the race up in Alaska? the Yeah, but this he did a special one, and forgive me if I'm um, butchering this, but instead of dogs pulling your sled, he pulled the sled the whole way. So he did it Please on... Please tell me he had a dog on the sled. No, he did it. <laughs> he, uh, he pulled the sled with his, his, uh, his gear on it and everything, and I think it took him around a month. So he's one of the only people to finish <laughs> it up in Alaska. And his name is Peter Ripmaster. So that's a fantastic name. Yeah. So he won the Brewmaster experience, and we brewed a um, a Goza with him, but a Belgian style Goza. Please tell me it was just called the Ripmaster. And I think it's going to be called the Iterod Champions Ale. That's not that's not bad because I, I hear what's super popular in Alaska right now are Gozas. So the cool part is, uh, well, it's the summer, right? So you have to put something out that's refreshing and light. That and, is true. Uh, in the Alaskan summer, all 45 minutes of it does get pretty hot. So uh, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Peter is going to talk. I didn't have the pleasure of meeting him yet, but he's going to talk about his Iterod experience um, at the brewery when we release the beer. So that's something that's cool that's coming up. Uh, that's, follow that our, is awesome. Yeah, follow our Facebook page for it. I don't remember the exact date. I think it's in July. Coming up here soon. Do you know the uh, date, Jerome? No, okay. Um, so that's something that's cool. You're fired, Jerome. Uh, <laughs> we, we Making also, moves on the air here between the pipes. Yeah, we, we also have a – we had two really massive cognac barrels that we bought that hold, I think, three barrels of, of wort each. And we're going to do – It's not a small barrel. That's, that's a small fooder is what that is. Yeah, these things are huge, and – we're filling them with a, a goose here soon, that, and that's going to be aging for a few years. So hopefully I'll be able to come back and try that one on the air with you guys. I'm really uh, excited about yes. that. Yes, and if you do not, we're not hanging out anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, we can't – you know, one of the things that Americans are, have been doing is poaching the names of some of these beers from the Belgians, even though they're protected names. So we won't call it a goose, but it's in influenced by, uh, by goose style. So, um, are you going to be doing a, like a three, two, and a one year blend traditional style, or are you guys going to be giving it the time in the barrel to kind of develop? The I think the goal is to do it as close as we can to um, how they do it in Brussels. So I had the pleasure of going out to uh, Cantillon last year with my wife. They might know a little bit of something about making a good goose. Yeah, so we're, we're going to kind of look at we looked at their process and how they do it, and we're going to try to um, do our best approximation of it and make something really nice. Um, also work with the guys a little bit at Dovetail Brewing in Chicago. On they're, They've been making them for a while and getting their process. They're two really smart guys uh, educated over in Germany um, on this stuff. So we have that process going. And then we're also looking at maybe, um, 
you know, expanding our IPA line up a little bit. You know, initially we decided that we weren't going to do any IPAs. Welcome to the craft beer industry. So many breweries start with that lofty goal, and you kind of got to have one. Well, we made it two and a half years without doing an IPA, and our pale ale kind of filled that void. But um, truth is, hey, 47% of the marketplace is IPA. So, you know, I mentioned that I'm a reservist, and last couple weeks I I was out in California. You know, that's really kind of... The, I feel like they might know a little bit about IPAs. Oh there. man, they—that's um, <laughs> kind of the birthplace of it, right? Out there in California. Yeah, so yeah, they they might have been doing it for a while now. Yeah, I went out to Escondido and I saw Stones Brewery, which was beautiful, and their garden bar. And I went to Point Loma and saw their other brewery, which is really nice. And I tried some of the local beers, and they're really about the fruit forward IPAs out there. And it seems like on the West Coast, we're more about the New England style. It seems like it's been catching on. Both of those are your real trendy styles of IPAs. But we might try um, maybe a more fruit-forward IPA coming up soon. So keep your eyes open for that. It's something we might try. Um, and if you want to talk about taking a little bit of Belgian influence, they've been adding fruit to pretty much everything for about as long as they've been making beer. Right. And when they, it, it's funny you mentioned that, but when I did my first interview about the opening of the brewery, I was living in New Jersey at the time, but I'm from Charlotte, grew up here, went to St. Anne's and Charlotte Catholic um, High, but I worked as a professional in New Jersey for a little bit of time, and when we founded the brewery, um, Fox, the local Fox channel, had wanted to get an interview, and I did a Skype with them, and they said, hey, what kind of styles are you going to bring out? And I said, well, really like to do some fruit beers, like the you know the Belgians yeah. do, and and I think there's a room for that, especially down in the south where it's hot, so... It took us a, a year, and we finally got our raspberry white out there, and we've been kind of uh, perfecting the recipe over the last four years and finally got something that I think we're really proud of. But now we might take the same sort of thing that we've done with the raspberry white and uh, kind of work with the, in the IPA realm a little bit. But and We it, have a long summer here and something nice and light and you know a little bit of that fruit to it. I mean, we're kind of well past the era where people are like, fruit and beer, that's so girly. Well, for one, who cares? And for, for two, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely something people are more than willing to dive into these days. There's definitely a market for it. And, I mean, you guys' raspberry white is spectacular. And, and Thank you. And, you know, poolside, that's exactly what you want. Well, it's not necessarily the, – the it's scary when you say the word fruit because people think it's going to be sweet. And our goal is to kind of balance that sweetness and not make the fruit too far full overpowering. So that's something that we might work on. And then the other thing I'm going to mention is that – we have some unique bottle projects coming. Um, one in particular is a more traditional Saison that's going to be bottle-aged, very similar to how they do it at uh, Cantillon. And um, issue is that, hey, 750s aren't big movers in your retailers, um, but hopefully our podcast will do, our, do something to <laughs> tell people, hey, skip the wine aisle, go get a 750 of beer, and um, maybe we can get some more diversity in that 750 aisle at the grocery store but and one of the things you guys have done an enormous amount of work at at the brewery is more educational projects and and kind of making the complexity of beer and kind of the higher end of beer more accessible to people uh, i've even attended a couple of your uh, more more craft education focused events that you guys you. run out of the event space that you have and i think that's important for people to realize that those options are out there and that something like a beer to guard can be a perfect thing to take over and it's not something that's going to be necessarily challenging to the palate, even though it will be 
uh, something that will challenge your palate. It's not something that you have to really worry about people at the table not being willing to drink. If they're willing to give a nice velvety red a try, they're going to be just fine. Yeah, and I appreciate that. So in our 750 lineup, we'll have triple, double, uh, Pierre de Garde, and Cezanne. As a matter of fact, I brought a triple for you today. It's out in the car. Um, maybe Jerome could sneak out and grab it uh, <laughs> real fast so I could break that up because I know we're running low on the Flanders Red. But, um, yeah, so we'll have that core lineup there, which we're calling our, our Belgian Reserve Series. So keep an eye open for that, and that's pretty much what we have coming up new. Definitely will. Well, uh, we want to uh, thank you for being on the show, Joe. Uh, again, uh, just really appreciate it. So, guys, you can find Sugar Creek Brewing Company at 215 Southside Drive right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Keep a lookout for that documentary as well. Name will be uh, incoming, but that's going to be released, you said, uh, early 2019 we're looking at? Yeah. Uh, last note about that, it was supposed to be out this summer, but they got a deal for a larger distribution for the for the movie. So it's supposed to be coming out, excuse me, coming out worldwide. Um, in the first quarter of next year. All right, so just don't forget about us once you're rich and famous and living uh, (laughs) on the Hollywood Strip. That'll be nice. (laughs) Uh, One way or the other, guys, we thank you for uh, joining us on the show. Uh, Keep an eye out for this episode as well as all future episodes wherever you find podcasts. Cheers. Cheers.